Hey everyone, I hope you're all well and you're not missing the weekly episodes of Guilt too much. I want you to know that I'm working away furiously on season three and hopefully new episodes won't be too far away. But in the meantime, I decided to share a podcast with you that I think you're going to absolutely love. And that's One Minute Remaining by Jack Lawrence. It's a weekly true crime podcast with a unique angle. Jack speaks to people incarcerated and lets them tell their stories, leaving you to form your own opinion of their guilt or innocence. I don't know where he finds these people, but the stories they tell are incredible. I'm currently listening to the Alaskan Avenger series about a man abused as a child who decides to become a vigilante and then ultimately ends up behind bars. It's a tragic but fascinating story. But in this episode you're about to listen to, you'll meet Doris, who is currently in a Florida prison for the murder of her friend and jackpot lotto winner Abraham Shakespeare. It's just one of many great cases that I'm sure are going to blow your mind. Enjoy. Hello? Hello? Hello, is that Dee Dee? Hi, yeah, no, hold on, I'm trying to get her on the phone with you. Oh, thank you. Is you the only one there? Hello? Hi, my name's Jack Lawrence, a radio host of 14 years and a lover of crime podcasts. In fact, I love them so much that I've quit my job to make one. However, I'll admit, this is a lot harder than I was expecting. You see, what I've learned over the past few years of putting this together is when you're dealing with the US prison system, things don't always go to plan. In fact, from day one, things got off to a shaky start when I was trying to interview my very first guest, and it seemed on that particular day the prison had decided to implement a new phone system. And the lady on the switchboard wasn't quite sure how to work it. No, I had her on the other line. It's just that I'm trying to figure out these phones to have her on the same light with you, but for some reason I can. Oh, okay. I mean, I know it's a long weekend for us here. I don't know if we can try this on Tuesday that I can get time to look this phone up and figure it out because somehow I cannot, I cannot have her on the same line. She's calling me, so when she called me, I'm putting her on hold and I'm doing your number to see if I can get both of you on the same line. But it's not working. But this is a new phone for me right here. Oh, so we had to get a little book and figure it out how to exactly. You have one minute remaining. So what is this podcast all about? Because I know what a lot of people will be thinking. Oh, another crime podcast. Well, yes and no. In this series, I'll be interviewing many inmates who are all serving lengthy sentences for some pretty serious crimes, from arson to attempted murder and even murder itself and everything in between. Now, I'm not here to try and convince you of their innocence or, in fact, their guilt. I'm simply here to let them tell their stories. So what's different about this then? Well, with most crime podcasts, you sit there, I talk at you, tell you a story, interview people, and we move on with our lives. However, I want you to get involved. Now, I know from my own experience of listening to crime podcasts, I really get so captivated by them. I'm enthralled by them. I'm listening to every little detail. I'm picking out clues. And and then I'm thinking, hold on a second, you missed this comment, or there's an avenue you haven't explored yet, or, or what about that, or what about this? There's, there's questions that I wish the host had asked or explored. That's where you come in. Now, I'm in regular contact with all of the inmates that I chat with. So... 
while listening to these stories and interviews, if you think I've missed something, maybe there's an avenue I haven't explored or you think I went a bit too soft in a particular area or you just have a general question that you want to ask, then tell me what it is and we'll do it. This is your podcast. This is your chance to join me in the conversation. So moving forward, the idea is to release an episode a week. And why do I say the idea is? Well, as I've already explained, when you're dealing with the US prison system, things don't always go to plan. And it's not always a new phone system that's getting in the way. No, there's a thing in prison called count times. It is one of the times where prisoners are not allowed to talk to me, and that can get in the way. Well, I gotta go, they're counting. Thank you for using Global Telling. Not only that, but I'm talking to inmates who are mainly in the Florida area known for its tornadoes and bad storms, and when one sweeps through, it can affect the phone system. Thank you for using Global Telling. Can you hear me, Kim? If you can hear me, I think the phone's still broken. Thank you for using Global Telling. Uh, still not working. And let's not also forget that these are prisons, volatile places where violence can occur. And when violence occurs, it can send entire prisons into lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They thought I'd had a stabbing or something over in the other side of the compound. So they locked the whole compound down. Wow. So so does that happen regularly? Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty often. Uh, probably once a week. Wow. Yeah. So for those reasons and a whole raft of other reasons, that's why I say I'm going to aim, I'm going to try my best to get out an episode a week. Now, if for some reason it looks like I'm not going to get you a full episode, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to leave you high and dry wondering what's going on. I will at least jump on and give you an explanation as to what's been happening over the last week or so. So with all that covered, let's waste no more time and let's jump straight into episode one of One Minute Remaining. Hello, this is a prepaid call from... Therese Moore, an inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. We're going to start the podcast with the OG, the lady whose story sent me down the rabbit hole. Almost four years ago, I was at work researching stories for a national radio show I was working on at the time, something I did on a daily basis, when a particular story caught my eye. The story was about a recent big win in the lottery here in Australia. Now, within that story see what I mean about the rabbit hole, were stories about the lottery curse. This notion that winning big in the lottery can ruin your life. And with that came some case studies. Yes, further down the rabbit hole we go. One of those case studies was about Abraham Lee Shakespeare, a casual labourer from the US who won a $30 million lottery jackpot in Florida, receiving $12 million in 2006. In 2009, his family declared him missing, and in January 2010, his body was found buried under a concrete slab in the backyard of an acquaintance. The backyard of this lady. My name is Therese Moore. Um, I have a life sentence. Um, our, in America, we have natural life sentences, so when you get 25 years, you get no parole here. So I'm in one of the states that doesn't offer parole. It's Florida. And so there's no parole. They consider you die in prison. This case was highly publicised in the media all the way from the disappearance of Abraham to the arrest of Doris, all the way through her trial 
and to her eventual conviction. All right, tonight, the end of a story we've been covering for months. Dee Dee Moore will spend the rest of her life in prison. State of Florida versus Doris Donegan Moore. Stone-faced, unlike past tears or smiles. The defendant is guilty of first-degree murder. When a Florida man won a multi-million dollar lottery jackpot, he probably didn't realize he may well have been setting off a bizarre chain of events that would end with his murder. Teresa spent the last 12 years fighting her conviction and has always maintained her innocence. As I stated at the start of this podcast, I'm not here to try and prove her innocent or guilty, and I'm certainly not here to try and convince you of either. But what I am here to do is let her tell her story. Now look, there are layers upon layers to the Doris and Abraham Shakespeare story. But what you're about to hear over the next few episodes is nothing short of incredible. As a word of warning, within this interview, Doris will make claims of corruption within the police department, as well as name individuals and make claims about certain things they've done or said. At this stage, these claims are not substantiated and no wrongdoing has been found against any of the police involved in this case. I've also taken out some names for legal reasons. Even though I was charged with something I didn't do, they feel like, um, and it was all circumstantial evidence, that they um, used against me to convict me, they still can give you a life sentence here. Okay. And then it takes forever to work back through the system. You are serving that life sentence um, because of what they claim, a murder of uh, Abraham Shakespeare, who uh, won, mm-hmm. won the lottery, $30 million uh, in the US, um, a man that you did meet mm-hmm. and you did deal with and you, you had a, uh, a, some form of a relationship with, which we'll get to very soon. He was just a friend. Like just a friend relationship. Okay, okay. great. Um, so right. what I want to talk about before that is your life before you met Abraham. Tell me about you, your life prior to meeting Abraham. Well, I had um, several companies. One of my companies, I served government contracts. So Teresa, she tells me, was a woman who liked working for herself. She liked creating businesses from the ground up. She had a few of them, and she seemed to have a pretty good knack for it as well. And from what she's telling me, she did pretty well. She owned and operated multiple businesses around the medical industry. She had multiple staff working for her. Uh, and it was, in fact, through one of her businesses that she would attend an event that would send her down the path of meeting Florida's newest multimillionaire. When was the first time that you heard about Abraham? With Abraham, I was at a government conference. Um, we had a dinner with Governor Chris at the time, and it was held at the Gaylord Palms, and I had a government contract I was going to do more government contracts and everything, so I was there meeting all the other different influential people that had government contracts and broadening my business. In the same respect, I met a lady there. Her name was Barbara, and she was a real estate broker. You know, we're talking, and she wants to find out um, more about me and we're talking and I tell her one of my things or one of my goals is to write a second book. I had already wrote a book called Organize Me Now and I wanted to write a book that was different than anything and she says, oh, I've got this perfect person you can write this book on. She says, his name is Abraham Shakespeare. I sold him a house and so she explained to me about everything with Abraham and, um, and what was going on in his life, that he had won $30 million. He took the lump sum of $12 million, and he basically had nothing left now um, except for a $1 million, and it was frozen. 
And so it was a fascinating story because mm. this man had run out of money within two years' time. Yeah. So I was like, how do you do that? In two years' time, you have nothing left. She introduced me, and it went from there. So who was Abraham Shakespeare? Well, the son of a citrus picker who made his living working on garbage trucks and washing dishes, as well as picking up odd jobs where he could. No stranger to law enforcement himself, he had served some jail time for a series of petty crimes. However, on November 2006, his life would change as he purchased the Florida Lottery's winning ticket. Although, only a few years later, Shakespeare himself would say that he just wished he had his old life back. I really would like my old life back where I could walk the streets like a normal person, but got people coming up asking for money. Hello, Guilt fans. It is Jack Lawrence here, the host and creator of this show, One Minute Remaining. I just wanted to quickly jump on and firstly say a big thank you to Ryan for giving me the opportunity to get in front of you guys and give you a taste of the show. I hope you're enjoying part one of the Doris Moore story. Her complete story is available for you to binge right now, as well as six other fascinating cases with plenty more on the way, including the story of Wild Bill, who has uh, been arrested in Panamania. I speak with him in a Panamanian prison. He's a former hitman for a Panamanian cartel. Fascinating story, which is on the way for you very soon. So enough from me. Let's get back into the story of Doris Moore. When you um, first met Abraham, what was the first meeting like? He was interesting. He... He was very interesting. He just uh, explained to me, you know, what was going on. When I first met him, I felt for him because I had that same problems going on in my life. Like when you have money, everybody comes at you. Mm. Um, we proved in my checkbook that it almost like I gave out myself over $40,000 in loans to people. But it's always in loans, but you don't end up getting the money back. You know that you're just giving it. Sometimes mm. you just give it to give because I, I can honestly say to this to anybody, if you give an individual a loan and you are not a bank, it puts your life at risk because they'll end up wanting to kill you for it before they pay you back. And so that's basically what happened to Abraham is he became a bank and it put his life in danger because people would threaten to kill him first, pay him back. Okay, now I just want to circle back to the moment you're chatting with this real estate broker at this function. She's telling you about Abraham. Now, you're saying that she said that Abraham basically had no money left before you even met him. Now, I, I have read that he, when he very first won, he spent, he put a million dollars away for his son, I believe it was, uh, into a trust fund. Also bought okay. a, a property for himself, which is a million dollars. And then I think uh, he just started giving people money, who anyone who asked for it, I suppose. Well, they, that's the story the media tells. Yeah. <laughs> now I'll tell you the real story. Sure. <laughs> I have all the real story on tape because... I don't know if it was God or who was looking out for me, but for some reason in my heart, I told, you know, myself, I said, you know, I want to record everything. That mm. way nobody can sue me for misrepresenting them. No one can sue me for a misquote. I wanted to record everything. Mm. So every time I did an interview or anything, I recorded it. I have the real story on tape <laughs> of what really happened. 
Okay, this is where I want to jump in here quickly. Now, throughout this interview, on many occasions, Doris is going to refer back to these recordings. Now, these are recordings that she said that she made all throughout these events. Now, I must say, Doris has told me she's sending these to me to look at. At this stage, they've not arrived. However, should they arrive, then I'm going to bring them to you immediately. Okay, let's get back to the interview. When he was accused of stealing the ticket, he gave out large sums of money to be paid back in cash under the table. So he would loan loan this one man a million dollars, but this man was paying him back $5,000 in cash under the table. That way, if he lost the lawsuit, he would still have money coming in. I see. He was afraid he was going to lose the lawsuit. And so he had won all this money, but the guy that he worked with said that he stole the ticket from him. Okay. Me again. Now, I want to jump in here because this story regarding Abraham being sued is very well documented. In fact, it seems Abraham's big win turned out to be nothing but a nightmare from the very beginning. But this story is very important because the police say that Doris's motives were obviously around money. She wanted to take Abraham's money. Doris says Abraham had no money and it all stemmed from this story. Now, the Florida Lotto winning ticket worth $30 million was sold at a Townstar convenience store in Frostproof, Florida on November the 15th, 2006. Now, on that day, Abraham and a co-worker of his, Michael Ford, were headed toward Miami. Now, they stopped briefly at this convenience store in Frostproof to buy drinks and cigarettes. Ford gets out of the truck and he says to Shakespeare, do you want a drink? Shakespeare doesn't. He says, instead, can you buy me two lottery tickets? So Shakespeare says he paid Ford $2 for the tickets out of the $5 he had on him that day. Of course, one of those tickets was worth $30 million. When Michael Ford finds out that Shakespeare's won all this money, he then returns to Shakespeare demanding a share of the jackpot of no less than a million dollars, which Shakespeare refuses to pay him. Now that prompts Ford to sue Shakespeare, accusing him of stealing the two tickets from his wallet. And that's where we'll let Doris pick up the story. So they went to court. Abraham won eventually. He had paid $800,000 to a lawyer that flew in to represent him. He ends up winning. The guy appealed the case, and the lawyer that was representing his appeal put a hold against him, too, because he didn't finish paying him. At that time, Abraham had run out of money. He only had the million in the CD account, and he had a house payment. Um, They had took a loan on his house because he wanted to build his credit up. So he actually had a house payment of $6,000, which I have proof I ended up paying for him. So I have a tape recording of me and Abraham. We're in a vehicle, and he is talking to the people at the bank on the phone, and they're discussing um, how I believe this is going to be on, like, Fox News. Like, I cannot believe this. I, I... I'm thinking this is going to be a movie because it's crazy how many people are involved Mm. and how much stuff is going on. So, yes, it interested me. I should have stepped out not knowing how convoluted it was and how dangerous it was, but it just intrigued me that all this stuff was going on, and I didn't know how deep it went. And then before I knew it, 
it was just too much. Okay, now reports say shortly after knowing Abraham for a little while and realising that, uh, well, his money was dwindling very quickly, that you decided to take control of his funds. Now, is that true? Did you take control of Abraham's money? Well, you can say that in a way and you can't. They say can take control, but that's not how it went. He didn't have money to pay his finances. So if you listen to the tape, I'm paying his finances, I'm paying his bills. I pay his house payment, I pay his electric payment, I pay everything. Because he doesn't have money. He's, his money's froze. He's only getting the cash that people will give him, pay back for the loans, but that's just money to run on. Okay, but the question I know people are going to be thinking while listening to this is, why is she paying this man's bills, a man that she barely knows, uh, why is she going out and paying his electricity bills, paying his home loan, paying his uh, everything for him, basically? Because the way I look at it, I'm making a book off of him, and this is going to be huge, yeah. and, a, and possibly a movie, because it's so unbelievable what this man was going through. And so I'm not worried about that. I'm, You know, I, he has to get this stuff paid. You know, somebody's got to pay it. So if you can say finances, but at the time I couldn't say anything. Like I said, they stopped me from saying anything that really happened. That was my money, and I couldn't say much because they were threatening to kill my you know, son, of course. There's reports around the purchase of two new cars and a holiday um, that um, that you purchased, apparently um, due to a million dollars that you gave yourself from Abraham's money. What, what's your response to that? The report of the holiday happened before I even knew Abraham. Right. They talk about a Las Vegas trip. I took this Las Vegas trip about six months before I even knew the man, this was, I think, in July of that year, and I didn't even know him till October or November. I'll have to look on there when I actually met him, but it was October or November of that year. But I took that Las Vegas trip in July. They made it out to this media that had these lush vacations. They happened all before Abraham. Because of how lavish it was is why it was made out to be a big deal. But it was the pyramid, and I stayed in the room at the top of the pyramid. And that's only because my boyfriend at the time had always, that was one of his bucket lists. So I wanted to make it come true. Okay, let's do a very quick recap here. So Doris meets Abraham. She discovers that Abraham is loaning out money because of an impending lawsuit. Now, of course, he's concerned that should he lose the lawsuit, then his former co-worker is going to take his winnings. So he decides to take it out and loan it to drug dealers who are able to pay back large sums of cash so that his money is, well, safe. Now, what's the saying? There's no honour amongst thieves, or in this case, drug dealers. So obviously, these drug dealers are not keen on giving that money back, funnily enough, and have started threatening Abraham's life if he tries to come after it. Here's Doris talking more about that. You can hear in his conversations with me, this is happening to him. He's um, being threatened. They're threatening to get him arrested if he comes after it or more, um, possible death. So he even says in the recordings of that. Um, and I'll, I can, I'll get those recordings for you so that you can see that DVD exists and it's not something that I made up here. The reason why I couldn't bring this forth to life before is they were threatening my son's life and these people thought I was kidding that these people really existed. So, so, so we're sorry, I'll just, just stop you there. Son. So when you say these people were threatening your son's life, uh, who, who are these people that were threatening your son's life? The one guy called his name Ronald. I'm sure that's not his real name. 
Okay, so this name, Ronald, is another one that's been brought up a lot, and it's a name that detectives say is a complete fabrication, a fictional character that's been made up by Darice. In fact, she's been mentioning this name, Ronald, in interrogations with detectives from the very start, like here. I'm not telling them everything because I am really scared. They don't believe me. I ask if they can give me protection, and I tell them, after last night, I didn't care. Okay. Once I found out that he really... I didn't care. I'd rather be dead myself. I don't care. I want him in jail. All right. Time out. Time out. The man that you're supposedly scared of, who are we referring to? The guy's name's Ronald. Ronald exists. He even threatened. He, I, James Shakespeare, I talked to him. He threatened him because James called me because he got a threat from Ronald too. He threatened him so bad that he went up to the sheriff's department and filed a false report to say the man was still alive. I don't care if you're fit. If my sister, my sister, somebody killed her, I would not go file a false report and say I'd talk to her if I didn't. That is my sister. I'd rather be dead myself. So you're going to hear Ronald's name pop up a few times. Again, I've got to say that as far as I'm aware, Ronald has never been found or spoken to by police. He was normal at first. I thought he was just one of Abraham's friends. Like his whole attitude was normal and nothing, you know, stuck out like that until the police started coming around. And once the police started coming around, that's when I started getting threatened. They're threatening that they're going to hurt my son if I do tell the police anything that the things that I do know, but I don't really know their names. So I have a recording on one recording that verifies I really don't know their names. Well, the cops believe that I did. I'm sitting there and trying to get their name out of this person that I'm on the phone with. I ask them why, you know, why are they doing this? And it's because they don't want him coming back after there was a guy that owed him money for a house and a truck that Abraham bought him. And Abraham was trying to get him to start making payments because Abraham was out of money. And he really was. Mm. He only had the million left. He wanted some of his payments back that he gave out. And these people were threatening them. To me, that's not worth it. You know, it's better to walk away. The whole reason they were able to convict me is they gave the illusion to the prosecutor. The reason why I did all this was I ran Abraham out of town because I wanted him out of town. And that um, I made child support a big deal. If you listen to the videotapes, you can see that I'm asking him why he has to leave. And he says, because he's afraid they're going to kill him. He says, I'm afraid they're going to come after, or she's going to come after me. I'm afraid she's going to have me killed or set up or my house robbed. From the sounds of, from what you're saying, that Abraham was in fear of multiple different people, lots of different people, um, you know, ex-partners, um, these drug dealers, uh, people that he loaned money to. It seems like, you know, he was terrified of, of a lot of people. Right. The one girl that I'm talking to, her name is Centoria. It's a girl that he dated, and she's actually part of my court case. She gets on the stand. She is his ex-girlfriend, and she had a baby by him. And the problem I have with Centoria in this whole scenario is she actually lies on the stand. So if you didn't have anything to do with this death, okay, just tell the truth of what really happened. 
you don't you don't have to sit there and lie if you didn't have any part of doing it just tell what you do know what happened instead she gets up on the stand and lies about everything and i have the tapes to prove she lied okay so this is another name that will come up a fair bit while i'm talking with doris centuri is an ex-partner of abraham shakespeare's now doris does make certain claims about centuria that have not been substantiated so i will be removing some of those claims out of this interview for legal reasons but centuria did take the stand during doris's trial now, when Doris mentions that she has proof that Centuria lied, this was actually brought up during the court case and a video was played to the courtroom showing contradictions to what she was saying. Uh, this was actually covered by ABC Action News. Have a listen. We're not going to go back and forth. You need to compose yourself and I'm about to give you time to do that and to speak to your lawyer. Part of the reason for Moore's frustration is the testimony from Shakespeare's ex-girlfriend, Centora Butler. Because she wanted to know about all of his assets and she was like, I can help you clean him out. Moore was so adamant that Butler was lying, she pushed her attorneys to play a video she took of Butler that she says proves she's being dishonest. While there are contradictions, Butler testified that's because Moore told her what to say. Did you lie about that on the video? Yes, your okay. client used a lot of coercion to make up a big fat fib. Now, again, I have to stress, no wrongdoing has ever been found uh, against Centuria at all. So any claims that Doris makes about Centuria have not been backed up by police. So anyway, this is what... You have one minute remaining. We only have one minute. Ah, uh, yes. This is the fun part about interviewing inmates. Um, we get a certain amount of time, then my friend here jumps in and tells me it's time to call it quits. So we'll do that for this episode, but, uh, well, get ready for episode two because things get even crazier when money is buried. But not just 5 or $10, no. We buried the rest of his remaining money once he cashed it out he moved the million dollars over i got it cashed out for him he buried it on one of my properties but you buried a million dollars so in cash was, out the back of one of your properties oh uh, well over that over that yeah next time on one minute remaining I really hope you enjoyed the first episode of One Minute Remaining, the Doris Moore story. Don't forget, you can binge the entire story right now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening, plus many more stories from the men and women who I speak to on a weekly basis, currently incarcerated in the United States. So I hope to see you over at One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.